dog in your life is thinking? Well, join me, Liz Murdoch, animal communicator, talking with the dogs and finding out what dogs want people in their lives to know and understand. I've spent my life talking and listening to animals. So if you consider yourself a dog person or just happen to have a dog, I'm here to help you learn how to talk or listen to the dogs in your life. I chat with people too, sharing stories and tips on exactly how animal communication or being a dog whisperer makes an impact at home or when working with the dogs. So welcome to Talking with the Dogs podcast, a place where we uncover exactly what dogs want us to know and celebrate that every dog has a story. This is Liz Murdoch talking with the dogs. And today we have Rhonda Gay, a physical therapist. That's Rhonda. You want to say hi, Rhonda? Hi, everybody. This is Rhonda. She is a physical therapist with over 30 years working primarily on humans in orthopedics and specializing in sports medicine and pain management. However, 20 years ago, Mm-hmm. You added body work and the rehab of performance horses and dogs, right? Mm-hmm. Today, you work on both humans and animals, still specializing in pain management and the effects pain has on animal behavior, movement, and performance. You shared also with me in our conversations about your travels throughout the country and your interest in helping senior and hospice dogs. So anything else you want to add? Nope. That's pretty much covers me in a nutshell. Okay. Well, I want to talk to you. You and I met at Energy Healing with Joan Ranquette in California. And when you were introduced, there was sort of like a hush across the room. I don't know if you remember. And people were, knew you and were said, oh, she's the horse trainer or not the train, the physical therapist. And you had this reputation, yet someone said, but she doesn't advertise at all. She just, it's your word of mouth. You're just really good at what you do. And it was sort of interesting because everyone's talking about building your business and advertising and you are just so low key in person and you just do your work and have really been able to make a living working with the animals and helping them. And I was really impressed by your gentle nature and how you just do your work. And it it was really touched me. And I remembered that as I have learned about expanding my business as an animal communicator. And I wanted to invite you on because I wanted to find out how, as a physical therapist, animal communication has influenced your work and maybe changed your work. So how did you even get into animal communication? Well, I met a friend that you and I both know, Joan Brenquit, in Florida. I was working on horses in the same barn that she had her horses in, in Florida, and we met. And she was intrigued with my work. And she told me that she was an animal communicator. And I became intrigued with her work. And we actually became very good friends. And we started working together, so to speak, in the animals. If she was communicating with an animal that she felt needed body work, she would call me. And if I was working on an animal that I needed help with communication-wise, I would contact her. And so we would team, kind of team treat a lot. And that's how I really got interested in animal communication. Okay. And then 
as you worked with the animals, did you start getting knowing senses on your own without having her around? Or how did you start to get a sense that you could hear or see a picture or however you would get your communication downloads for the animals? How did that happen? Well, I've always had a special feel for the body, I guess, as far as my human work. And my hands are very sensitive and I feel a lot of information through my hands. And when I would work on the animals, I would get that sense of knowing through my hands. And I learned that it was actually a form of communication on an energy level and on a telepathic level. When you were using your hands and you were starting to get a knowing sense working on a dog, Mm -hmm. what kinds of things would you know if you're working on a dog's leg or side? What would you know that might be different from when a dog owner is brushing down the back of a dog and feels a lump and is like, oh, my dog has a lump. I need to go to the vet. What kind? How is it different for you when you're communicating with an animal like a dog and you get a knowing it's really hard to say because it becomes, it's so natural to me. I don't know what it is not to feel that. And so, but what do you know? Like, what would you tell an owner or in your training? Like, so you're working on it. Do you know that, oh, the dog is too, it must've had a lot of exercise the last couple of days. I can tell that. Or what so can you I, verbalize? I feel a, a tension. I okay. feel a restriction, so to speak, a tension, a tenseness in their kind of their energy field and the way they feel in general and the way so a fear energy feels very different than a happy energy or a pain energy feels very different than than a fear energy it's just a different type of feel Mm -hmm. and so in your work in animal communication you learn to tell the difference or did you know like oh now I realize when I notice this kind of a sensation in my hands or up my arms, this is a happy dog and he's just tired or, oh, wow, this is a stressed dog. Somehow the dog is communicating that through you. This is a stressed dog who needs some kind of help. Whereas the owner's just looking at the dog thinking what's wrong. Right. And so it's a different feel and they can't, I mean, I hope to get to this point at some time where they actually tell me, okay, it's my knee, not my hip. (laughs) Uh But the energy that I feel that's different from the knee to the hip, I've learned to distinguish the difference if there's pain there versus if there's not pain there. Okay. All right. Well, that's interesting. And so you said that you work with animal behavior versus mm-hmm. movement, what, what's the difference as a physical therapist? So the biggest, where I really, really got involved in this and noticed a difference was in the horses because I used to compete mm-hmm. and I have a lot of friends that compete. I don't know if any of you are familiar with barrel racing in the rodeo, but different horses would have issues in their performance. and a lot of people just thought it was a training issue or a behavioral issue that the horse was being just stubborn or the horse was being very bad or something like that. And when I would look at the horse, I would notice that the movement patterns were different. And so 
I'd get permission from the owners or they would come to me and say, I have no idea what, why my horse is doing this. Do you have an idea? So I would do a physical scan on them and I would do a physical bodywork treatment on them and their behaviors would change. So that's how it really got started. And then it's just progressed from there. And is it similar with dogs from the horses? Yes, very similar. In fact, it's very similar. Horses don't bite as much as dogs do. So horses have different bad behaviors than dogs, but it's the same type of a, they'll let you know when they're not comfortable and when Mm -hmm. something is up. And I've learned through the years just by, again, we get into the feeling of knowing just by being in that animal's energy, whether it's a true behavioral, like the horse or the dog is just being bad versus a pain behavior response. It's yeah. a, it's a different feel. So you get said you get knowings. Do you see pictures at all? Do you ever feel like an animal is showing you a picture of where something is bothering them or what happened that you can then say, oh, this, this dog sort of doesn't like being locked in a crate. Or I think, do you ever consider putting your dog in a crate? He seems to tell me he likes it. Do you get images when you work as, when you use animal communication in your work? I do. And some of the things, an example would be a horse having an issue going through a gate. And I got the vision of him not being able to stop in time. And he ran into the gate at one point in time and he was having headaches. He was having some issues there. And so he was basically showing me that picture of him, the gate hitting him in the head. And that's why he, number one, he had a headache. So he didn't really want to perform anyway, but there was also a fear or an apprehension factor behavior factor along with it from the memory of getting hit. So now some people would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. How do you know a horse has a headache or a dog? How do you know that an animal has a headache? And maybe you're so used to this because you've been doing it for 30 years, but there are some people who would say, how do you know a dog has a headache? For me, I feel it. I mean, I can feel it in my body. I can feel that energy. I can feel that fullness, uh, like I have a headache. Mm-hmm. And that's that has come with learning to communicate with animals more. Right. But before that, I could tell just in the way, mostly with horses and in dogs as well, but the look in their eyes. Mm-hmm. Because if you and I have if we've ever had a severe, severe headache, our eyes get a little bit squinty. We get a little bit foggy, you know, as far as our vision. And we don't, we're we're not as quote unquote bright eyed, correct? I mean, you feel that way when you have a headache. Oh yeah. You can actually see that in the animal if you're aware or if you look close enough or if you've been around it long enough. Right. Now you talked about dogs biting more than horses. Horses don't really bite. And I I agree with you. And I've worked with a lot of dogs as an animal communicator. And that even when people say it's a bad dog, it's like, well, are there really bad dogs or do they have bad days and situations that make them do, they have their triggers. Right. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to, you know, the, the biting, do you agree that sometimes we can see that it's coming or if we can tune into these dogs who have these issues behavioral issues and we try and 
help their owners or their caretakers tune into them and understand that animal communication does work, that there might be less dog bites? Yes, absolutely. I think that they absolutely can learn how to feel, to anticipate what's going to happen and intervene when it's appropriate. Right. Or at least be aware enough to go get the right sort of intervention. Yes. Whether it's from a body worker because it's a pain related issue or whether it's a trainer on a, on a behavioral issue mm-hmm. or a veterinarian because it's a medical issue, like an infection or something. Right. Yes. All good points. I mean, there's so many variables that, that go into why any person or animal can react a certain way. Okay. So animal behavior is we sort of, we touched on that and tuning into other triggers. Do you have any other stories about your work with the dogs and what they've shown you or, you, or like the horse with a headache that might be interesting? Favorite stories to tell? One of my favorite stories is that when people think about talking with animals, it's mostly dogs, cats, and horses, correct? Yes. So I had a leopard gecko Okay. at one time, and I did not know that geckos actually have personalities. And so her name was Lola, and she, long story short, she started to not eat. And so... I had read up and saw that they kind of go through phases of not eating, but only for a few days at a time. So, and this became weeks. And so I got a little concerned, took her to the vet and gave her some medication and did a checkup and so on and so forth. And then we tried the medications for a couple weeks and she still wasn't eating. So I took her back to the vet and we, she tried a different medication and did blood work and couldn't find anything there. And so this went on for a couple more weeks. And I thought, I'm really getting a little bit scared that she's not eating and I have no idea what to do. So I thought, well, why don't I just ask her? Right. So I just sat next to her in, the, in her little aquarium and I got quiet. I told her that I was really scared for her and why wasn't she eating? And I very clearly got one word, mouth. Okay. And so I thought, okay, well, I don't know how to look in her mouth. So I took her back to the vet and I told the vet my experience. And so the vet, sure enough, pried its little mouth open Uh and actually way up on the palate was they, when they shed, they eat their skin. Uh And apparently there was some skin that had attached on the roof of the mouth that was becoming infected. Oh, wow. And she could not eat. She did not want to grab anything in her mouth because it was painful. So, I mean, that's the greatest story that I have. I mean, that's, that's one of the my top stories because I got, I literally got one word. She didn't give me a dissertation. Right. She literally gave me one word. Yeah. And I took it from there. And that was from her. And I knew that was from her. Yeah. Because I wouldn't have thought about it. 
No, 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 no. How many weeks had she not eaten? How long did a gecko go without eating? Yeah, she hadn't eaten in almost six weeks. Oh my gosh. Well, when you took, you said you sort of, you sat next to her and you got quiet. Do you have a protocol that you do to tune in with an animal to get it to talk to you? Because some people say, okay, well, how do you do this? What is it? It's very individualized. I've learned through the classes and through Joan and some friends that everybody has their own way of connecting and getting quiet. Uh I guess based on how active your brain is and how much, how much you're able to disregard the distractions and so on and so forth. And you just learn, you learn over time, you learn with practice. Do you do the same thing every time or is it different? Does it depend on, like, can you just go up to an animal and be quiet? Like sometimes I can, or I, I get a knowing and I think, oh, wait a minute. I'm not going to, I don't want to hear this now. So I'm, I don't want to just jump into somebody else's animal. Can you just walk up to an animal and a dog or a horse or a gecko and get quiet and say, okay, tell me what's going on. Is it that honed now? When I'm doing body work, yes. Mm-hmm. When I'm doing strictly communication, no. Okay. Because I use my, I think I'm so comfortable and I use my hands so much that I, a lot of the information comes right through my hands when I'm actually at the animal. So when I'm not able to touch the animal, it takes me a bit more focus, a bit more time to sit back, get quiet and focus in a different way. Yeah, I found that uh, as an animal communicator and meeting different people that it really, it's fun because so many people start really talking and listening to the animals from different paths in their lives. And for me, I was in, I had a head injury in a car accident. And so for me, I'm able to tune in with my head. I have to get clear and think. And I start getting sort of the downloads from the animals through my head. And I need, when people talk about a healing, I can't do it just from my hands. I have to be able to get quiet and think and hear it first. Mm-hmm. But I've met people like you who have started as body workers who need to use their hands or whether it's through their breathing. I met a woman who, who does it through singing and she has to start humming and making noises and she tunes in. So it's really interesting to, and I think it's great to know that we can all do it, but we can also do it in different ways. And mm-hmm. the secret really is being open. Right. Yeah. And not get frustrated if you don't do it a certain way. Because when I first started meditating, I was frustrated because I learned over time that my meditation is actually better with my eyes open, uh-huh. than my eyes closed. So if I start to get quiet, like I'm going to daydream. Right. You know, I kind of go into my head, mm-hmm. but I have to have my eyes open or I have to be focused on some object in order. And I get my information that way. But to close my eyes for some reason does not work for me. Because you're not maybe you're not as connected like when it's your hands. Interesting. So we talked about animal behavior. What about the animal movement? I know you've worked with a lot of champion horses and horses who are showing and moving. Mm -hmm. How how do you find that your work, like even with the dogs, can make a difference in their movement? The body work, you mean? Tying it in with the animal communication. Because I I have a sense that 
you can take it to the next level bigger when you tune in. Like it's sort of like we can teach a dog to go for a walk, you know, on a leash and, you know, puppies often have to learn how to walk on a leash or even dogs that have never had a leash and they have to learn to walk. But if we can talk to them or even those who are just teaching them that a walk is a fun thing, then the walk, the movement of the walk is much better because the dog is bought into, yeah, I want to go for a walk. I'm going to either go to the bathroom. I'm going to see my friends. I'm going to sniff some great trees. It's a good thing because they have the mindset has shifted to not just learning how to walk on a leash Mm -hmm. part of it. So I'm wondering how, when you are called in to work with an animal on movement issues and someone's often someone's not really sure they notice the animal's limping and the the doctor has said something, but we're going to try this physical therapist. We're going to also do this. And you come in and you can tell as a physical therapist, you have a sense of what's going on, but when you're tuning in with the communication aspect, how is that helping you with your treatment of movement issues? So, An example of that would be, I can think of a couple instances where the owners thought that maybe their animal wanted to be put down or they were ready to go. Right. And I'll give you an example. Just the other day of a pony, the owner called me out and said, she's laying down too much. I think she's ready to go, blah, blah, blah. And when I went there Mm -hmm. and was next to the animal, I didn't get that energy at all. Didn't have that feeling like the the pony was sick. I didn't get the feeling like it was in distress, like couldn't breathe or anything like that. And I tuned into the animal and I said this, how are you feeling? That type of thing. Are you ready to go? And so the pony stood up and said, no, I just cannot stand And that's all I got. I just, I have a difficult time standing. Mm -hmm. And when I looked down, there was something funky about the pony's hooves Mm -hmm. where she couldn't get her weight forward Hmm. on her feet. So she was having to stand in a way that looked like it was painful or to the owner looked like they weren't healthy, so to speak. Right. 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 She's off center or something. Right. And so I explained to them the mechanics of it and how doing something at one aspect would change their overall being. Right. And then they would be more comfortable. They would be able to stand longer and they wouldn't be in, they wouldn't just be willing to lay down all the time. Right. Does that make sense? Definitely. Did I explain that? Well, I got <laughs> it. I got it. Mud. <laughs> so the pony said that he couldn't stand, right? Right. And so that's, it was more that issue needed to be addressed rather than he didn't want to be a lot. Exactly. So on the outside, it appeared that he didn't feel well enough physically to go on, so to speak. Right. But when communicating with the pony he just said it was too difficult for her to stand right yes so it wasn't that that she was sick it's that she was having a mechanical issue that needed to be addressed so that she could stand better and tolerate it more yes i think that's a little more clear is locked but that doesn't mean the car won't drive right you just have to unlock the door right and so this pony what you needed a nail trim or something or some help with the feet 
Yes, it needed some definite help with the feet. Mm-hmm. Well, that seems like important to have an animal communicator around. Well, I would like to think so. Yeah. Okay. So uh, do you have any stories like that with the dogs? Or you're working with this, the hospice dogs. That's different. Well, I mean, because that's a lot of the time people are trying to figure out when it's an animal's time. And you're right. helping people as well as the dogs. And sometimes you know, we as animal communicators are getting a sense that no, a dog still has some work it has to do. It wants to do. Right. Right. And again, another example of that would be an owner wanting to know if the dog was ready to be put down and in doing body work and communicating and doing with my hands, notice some really tight tightness through the back Mm -hmm. and through the communication got a sense of numbness in the legs. So felt like maybe the dog had a pinched nerve. And after doing some body work a couple times to address the spine and what we call the sciatic nerve, the dog was up and playing again in no time. Mm -hmm. So it's a case where if maybe they hadn't, if the dog hadn't had somebody communicate with them, I mean, the owner may have thought that it was just, it's, time and right and sometimes it is sometimes it is absolutely so when you do this and like you get the sense with this particular dog is that just built in as part of your work I mean you can't you're not controlling it it's just part of you're getting these sensations this is what I think as I'm treating it and you do that are do many people come in and say can you tell me what my dog is thinking is that do you find that more mainstream that people are starting to ask about the animal communication, the talking and listening part of it? Or do they just say, fix my dog? I need, I need help. Just do whatever you can. I think because of my body work, I am more considered the healer. Okay. In my human job, I work with home health and hospice mm-hmm. people. So I have kind of taken an interest in the geriatric population of animals as well. Mm-hmm. And trying to use communication to give them a better quality of life at near the end, just like we do with humans mm-hmm. and giving them their wants and desires. We can communicate that, Hey, my time is coming and I'd like a really big party before I go. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that, mm-hmm. but your animal can't speak like that. So, and there are animals that want to go out with a bang. I've learned that in communicating with different animals, there are some that want to go really quietly. Mm-hmm. There are some that want to go go out with a bang, so to speak. They want that party. They want mm-hmm. people happy. They want that last hurrah, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I just think that to improve the, the end of life quality, mm-hmm. It's such a great thing to be able to hear that from an animal that, that number one, they're okay with the end of life. They may have certain ways that they would like to go cross to the other side, but, but it's comforting to know that they're okay with it. Yes. And, and you don't really know that until you communicate with them. Yes, that's true. And uh, there's just so much love they have always for the people around them. Yeah, I think animal communication is a great, I don't know, uh, tool. Maybe uh, you know, if that's what it is, it's just 
I think for us who are those of us who are able to use it frequently all the time, it, it's common. But for those just learning, I you know, I'm excited about it as what it can do to help people, especially in hospice situations, mm-hmm. better understand what's going on and find ways to be comforted and have a peace that it's okay to give my dog a pound of baloney now. Right, right. We got a beach trip. This is, we're just going to do it. I know this is what he wants and I have no doubts that I'm going to do this and we're going to have the best time and not feel guilty about any of those kinds of choices because the dogs don't want that. I'll tell you another story that's interesting. So I had a guy that was a barrel racer and he had his horse and they weren't gelling quite right. They weren't, their timing was kind of off as far as their performance. And so he wanted me to communicate with the animal to see what he could do better to make it easier for the animal, right? Yeah. So I did that communication and he said it made a world of difference in their timing and their connection. Mm-hmm. And I gave him a few exercises to do together that the horse said this would help me if. Right. You know, the horse actually wanted more of a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't feel like it was, he was being a strong enough leader. Right. And the horse needed some more direction. Mm-hmm. That's the message that I got from the horse. So that gave the owner much more confidence in his abilities to actually direct the horse. Mm-hmm. So they started to gel. The thing that was interesting was he brought me out to do a second communication with the horse. And the horse indicated to me that that the owner was not sharing something very important with him. Ah. And he they needed to have a discussion about it. Mm-hmm. And what that thing was, was the owner has like stage four cancer. Oh. And I believe the horse knew that. Right. And I believe the horse was actually wondering what is going to happen to me if something happens to you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because he could sense this change coming. So I actually told the owner, I said, you need to tell him whatever's going on with you. Mm-hmm. Because he wants to have that conversation and he needs that clarity and he needs that direction and that security so oh wow that's powerful so even though the owner did not know how to quote unquote do animal communication Mm -hmm. he did sit in the stall with that horse and talked and told him everything that was going on and his plan for the future for the horse Mm -hmm. that the horse would be taken care of and so on and so forth and so forth so because of me even though he couldn't hear the horse Right. He wasn't an animal communicator and he couldn't hear. He was well aware that the horse could hear him. Did he notice a change in performance in their relationship after he talked to the horse? Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. from what he says, he says he talks to the horse all the time and just knows that the horse understands him. Yes. Yes. I find that a lot where people will call me and I'll say, well, your dog says that you talk to her all the time. And they go, well, yeah, sort of. I go, well, keep doing it. She likes it. She'd rather talk to you than to me. Mm -hmm. And you hear her, but you don't believe it. 
Right. And that comes up actually more often than I first realized that it would, that everyone really can understand it's trusting and like this client of yours that even if you don't hear them back, that doesn't mean you shouldn't tell them. It's like, I guess our babies, we Mm -hmm. talk to them and our young children and they may not talk back like they understand us, but by the time they're five or 10, they understand us and we understand them. So I guess that's validating like with this man that, yeah, the animals just do it. Even if you don't hear back that your horse or dog understands you or get go. Yeah. And, and it's a good uh, testament to, whatever is happening with the human definitely affects the animals. Mm-hmm. They want to know, they need to know what's yeah. going on. I agree. And so when an animal has had an owner who is this man obviously loved this horse and when an owner who has cared for an animal passes away and because of whatever the family situation is, the owner ends up needing a new home and goes through a rescue and then is rescued and someone says, oh, my poor animal was a rescue. It's like, well, just because it came through a place and it needed a new home, it doesn't mean that it didn't have this fabulous bond with another person beforehand. Something happened and it may have only been in the rescue for a couple weeks or even at the shelter for a couple weeks, but something happened, yes, and it's unfortunate that they had to change homes. But sometimes that happens if somebody passes away. And so it's just, I think, remember that sometimes it's not as dire as it seems their previous story. Right. Um, They may have had someone like who got cancer and took very good care of them and they just needed a new home. And the animal is actually so relieved how lucky they got. Mm -hmm. So I just do have any comments on that. I agree with you. I don't think that, I think it's great that people go to the shelters and they quote unquote rescue the animals. But I do think you're right. I don't think it's as much of a rescue sometimes as people make it out to be. Mm -hmm. I think that some of those animals, not all animals had to be abused to be in rescue. So, yeah. Well, that's good. So, and I think it, it makes a difference that these animals can have the help to transition from one home to another. Absolutely. And talking to them too, I've had animals say how great it is, the new beginning. They like this. They're glad how things have worked out and they got this second family. And it's just like, we have to leave our first grade teacher sometimes. And it's very sad, but Mm -hmm. we have other fun activities and and experiences in life. And I think I, I have found a lot of dogs feel that way. Yeah, we they adapt to change like we do. Yeah. So what else? Uh, I really appreciate your time sharing these stories on how it's worked talking with the animals in your work as a physical therapist. Yeah, it's thinking back on I've done body work for so long and I've I've done this for so long that sometimes I probably take it for granted. And it's only in when I really stop and talk about things and bring to light these stories that I actually realize how incredible it is and how amazing it is that we can do this, that this is an option. And you mentioned mainstream and entertainment value and so forth. Right, right. I do think that there's a place for everything. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you want to be an animal communicator, 
just for your own animals, that's fine. If you want to be a healer like myself and use animal communication to enhance the healing Mm -hmm. or to enhance the quality of life, like in a hospice situation, that's great too. But if you want to do it just for the entertainment value, people are just intrigued by it and just want to know what their cat wants as a treat, cat's favorite treat. It's not a bad thing. I mean, I think that's, I think there's room for everything in every space and every time. And I think it is becoming more mainstream. Mm -hmm. And I think we can use that. We can use those entertainment type situations to really actually validate and learn and grow in this profession so that that we can use this information and these skills. And I'm going to say skills because it it is a skill. It's something right. anybody can develop, but we can use these skills more on a global level, even for the sanctuary animals and for the wildlife and for every being on the planet in general. I think, mm-hmm. I think it can, can expand to the greatest depths. Well, that's very well said. Yeah. It's funny. People will ask me about talk. Oh, you talk to dogs or you're a dog whisperer. And I say, well, actually it's sort of funny that we call it talking or dog whispering because it's really listening to the animal. We can talk to them, but often I'll say something and and I feel corrected by the animal or it's just listening. I'll say, oh, I think you've seen this. Is this what you want? And the animal will say, no, I want that. Or I really like the chicken or I really like the music at the house. They can be so specific. And even when we get a little idea, if we I find when I stop and I think, okay, tell me more. I ask the animal, tell me more about that. They'll become even more specific that the entertainment person, the entertainment aspect of it goes even higher because the families are so wide-eyed. How did you know that we play party music? I had that the other day. How did you know? It's like, because your dog told me. But it is funny as it is. And the reminder to just sit and listen is a very valuable one. And that when we listen to our animals, it can make huge changes, whether it's just when the family comes over and the dog goes and sits in the corner at dinner time and it stops bothering the non-dog people. Or we have a hospice dog that is says, yeah, let's go for that car ride. Even if I look horrible getting to the car, I want to go. Yeah, yeah. So, well, thank you so much for making time. I know you're busy. You travel all over the country doing this and working with people and and their animals and dogs and horses and geckos. I just want to thank you. I know you've got a busy week and you will be out in California soon. You're based in Florida? No, I'm in North Carolina. In North Carolina. You're based in North Carolina, but Mm -hmm. you love to travel. People, I love to travel. People can hire you. You go, you do special events. Um, I do. I can do weekend events and mm-hmm. I can yeah. do seminars and okay. teach you do treatments. all that. And you had an offer. This offers are very popular here on podcasts. And you're you're willing that if someone wants to reach out to you, uh, we've got your email, gronda64 at yahoo.com. People can email you. And if they want to book you for one of your weekend events where you come out, they can email and find out about that. 10% will go to a local charity of their choice in the community yep. where you come. And that's mm-hmm. great. So I just want to thank you very much for the, your time today and your work around 
the country. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And it's always a pleasure to spread, you know, some healing energy and some information. And I love to teach. So the opportunity to to get the word out. and Yes, because I've met many women who have done body work just on people and they like, oh, I've been thinking about doing it with animals and they get some training and it changes their lives as well too in a positive way that you're using your gifts, you're doing something new. And I mean, you're the body worker that it livens it up in your work, your day-to-day work to, to bring in it, a, a it dog. It sure does. Okay. It sure does. It's the highlight. Animals are the highlight of my day. Not that I don't like working with humans, but I tell you, there's something really, really special about their gratitude uh-huh. and their appreciation and their love for what you do for them. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, hopefully people will reach out to you. They can check the show notes here at Talking with the Dogs and double check where to find you. And hopefully we'll get lots more people learning how to do body work, energy healing with the dogs and talking as well. So thank you so much. And we're gonna thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to Talking with the Dogs. Hope today's episode made you want to understand your own dog better and appreciate that every dog has a story and something to say. Subscribe now for more dog stories and insights into animal communication and what it's like to be a dog whisperer. Review this episode on Apple Podcasts or follow Talking with the Dogs on Instagram or Facebook and sign up for a chance for you and your dog to be a guest on the show. Whatever you do, I hope you'll spend time talking with the dogs.